0: Hello and welcome to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. This week we're discussing engineering skills and in particular the results of a recent survey on engineering skills carried out by YouGov on behalf of the Institution for Engineering and Technology, the IET. With me to discuss that report is Stephanie Baxter, Head of Policy at the IET. Stephanie, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, lovely to be here.
0: So before looking at this latest skills survey, there'll be some people listening who are less familiar with the work of the Institution of Engineering and Technology. So can you tell me a little bit about the IET and what it does?
1: Of course. Well, the IET is one of the world's largest professional societies. Um, Our membership is the engineering and technology community, and we're currently up to over 155,000 members worldwide in 148 countries. So we like to think of ourselves as a trusted advisor of independent, impartial, evidence-based engineering and technology expertise. And we do this by working collaboratively with government, with industry and academia to look at engineering solutions to some of um, the society's greatest challenges. For example, tackling climate change and building a safer and better digital world.
0: So a vast number of things you're involved with in the IET, uh, but let's now focus on skills, which is the sort of topic of this podcast. Uh, We're going to discuss the results of the 2023 skills survey in a moment, but just before looking at the detail, tell us a little bit about the survey itself and how it was carried out.
1: Yeah, definitely. So um, we carried out this uh, survey by commissioning YouGov, who are an independent research agency, to deliver this for us. Um, and they targeted employers of engineering and technology staff across 10 different countries. In total, um, over 2,000 respondents were surveyed, and we did this uh, between August and September of this year. And this was to time it to launch our full international findings for COP28.
0: Fantastic. So that's the survey, that's the IET. Now take us through some of the key findings from your survey.
1: Definitely. So I thought we got some really fascinating results, Gavin. So for me, one of the things that really came out was that over two thirds of UK employers do have a sustainability strategy in place. But of those, 76% don't think they have the skills to deliver it, which to me is quite worrying. We also found that the UK is least likely to offer training in new technologies um, and this is important if we want to make industry more innovative and competitive in the long run. We also looked at different technologies and the top three technologies that UK players said that they thought would help the UK meet net zero goals are in um, sustainable heating and cooling of houses, also renewable energy generation. And a third also said that retrofits going to be really important.
0: So quite a lot of interesting things and quite a lot of richness there. I must admit, I was struck when looking at the survey. One of the, what I thought was surprising findings, is that the UK is the only country within the survey respondents in which most employers think that the education system does not prepare graduates very well for industry. Can you, this is a bit surprising. I mean, can you unpack this a little bit for us? Tell us what some of the figures and and tell us, what do you think this tells us about education, what some of the solutions might be?
1: Well, absolutely. And, and yes, yes, you're right. We have a problem. We have a huge problem in the UK. So over half of employers um, and our survey um, sort of showed it to be 63 percent. So they don't think the education system is fit for purpose. It um, Particularly, we don't prepare graduates well for industry. And so uh, they're not often able to hit the ground running. Uh, when they joined the world of work. So um, compared to other countries, the next highest country was Malaysia, where 35% um, of employers said the education system doesn't prepare people well enough. But as you can see, it's quite a large margin. And I think, you know, we've got a lot to do. Speaking to employers, I think we really need to listen to what they are saying about what they need. In our survey, they've suggested there should be more industry placement years, so pretty much half. And also a third say we need to provide more industry-targeted projects. I think it's that that in itself that's so important because by making education more relevant to the real world and solving real world problems, which we do in engineering, it also makes it a more attractive prospect to young people coming to the profession. And we really want to foster a culture of a more diverse um, a more accessible profession, because you know in in order to solve problems that we don't know about, we need a lot of different ways of thinking and a lot of different experiences. So that can only benefit us, I think.
0: so I, I thought it's quite interesting what you were saying about industry placement years. Do you think that um the structures are in place? for an expansion of industry placements? Are industry lining up to uh, offer these years? What, what needs to happen in order to make that uh, more common in the UK?
1: Sure. Well, I think there needs to be more of a partnership. So, you know, the responsibility can't be on employers alone. It can't be on academia alone. Um, but, but there needs to be more engagement. I think one of the sort of more encouraging developments of recent years are degree apprenticeships. So um, it kind of incorporates that work, that real-life work experience with the rigour of a university degree. But I think uptake still needs to be better. Um, Also, the prospect of a longer degree course can be off-putting, especially in these financially constrained times. So um, to get the funding model on that needs to be, you know, we need to make sure that that's fit for purpose and accessible as well. So it kind of needs that trifecta of government, industry and academia all working together to make these options more attractive for young people, I think.
0: Yes, you can see quite a lot of things working together there. And for engineering degree apprenticeships, clearly that's one funding model, which is, quite attractive because you don't end up with 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 a loan, but but the traditional degree you you do and yeah i can see that an extra an extra year is quite pricey
1: yeah i mean it also shouldn't be too fixated on degrees um in engineering um friendships are quite well they're an excellent way um for young people to get that on the ground experience while they're learning and whilst um you know they have been become more prominent lately i think need to see better careers, advice and guidance at schools to make sure that they are promoted to young people and they are an attractive option, you know. And and there are lots of benefits, particularly the financial benefits, you know, now. So Hmm. we mustn't forget that route into engineering as well.
0: Absolutely. Now, I want to take you away uh, from skills uh, just for a second because also in your survey, the UK appeared to be an outlier on the use of digital twins? Well, my first question is, can you just remind everyone what a digital twin is? And then just give us a picture of why the UK seems to be so different.
1: Sure. Well, I think digital twins are an amazing piece of technology, but um, they've not really been used to their full potential just yet. Um, so I'll try and explain it <laughs> as simply as I can. They are digital replicas of a piece of real world infrastructure, but What makes them special is that they um, interact, they have a special connection with their physical twin. Um, So there'll be some kind of relationship or association between the digital world and the physical world. And the benefit of this is that they can bring greater accuracy, control and predictability to a range of challenges. And I'll tell you a nice little example. It goes back around 50 years ago in space exploration, where NASA uses technology to rescue the Apollo 13 mission. We asked about it in our survey, and again, I think the results were quite surprising in that despite digital twins being quite an exciting piece of technology, only 5% of engineering employers thought that this technology would be important for reaching net zero, and only 3% of that in the construction sector, which I think could have a lot of benefits if harnessed to its full potential.
0: No, that is really interesting and again quite a, a contrast between some other countries but you mentioned net zero just then you also mentioned it in your opening remarks as you were talking about the key findings as obviously you, you asked a whole set of questions about sustainability kind of what are the results of some of that and how does it tell us how engaged and prepared UK industry is to get to net zero
1: yeah good question um I think Again, reaching net zero is a partnership. It's not just going to be about industry, but how we all have a a role to play. For example, like institutions like the IET, helping employees to understand the importance of adapting to new technologies that can help us achieve net zero, as well as government support. Um, I think what's worrying is that um, compared to other countries, fewer UK employers seem to be um, introducing new technologies, the rate at which we're introducing them and having the skilled workforce to do that. So there's definitely um, a, a, a part to play in that um, we we do support employers in being able to reskill and upskill their workforce quickly. Um, technology is just evolving at a pace way faster than that we can grow the skills for so we've got to find a mechanism um in which you know you know the workforce can be agile and flexible to deal with that
0: so we're obviously actions needed here actions needed by the employers themselves and we were talking a little bit earlier about action needed potentially by universities the academic community um but what does the survey tell us about what uh, action government needs to do, or at least what action uh, engineering employers would like to see from government?
1: Sure. Well, I think one aspect that came out really strongly was around the apprenticeship levy, um, which is, um, as you'll know, it's a tax on businesses to support training, um, um, to go back and support training in the workplace. Um, And I think, you know, companies really want to leverage it, particularly smaller companies who don't often have that that resource source but what we're hearing is that employers are finding it hard to use sometimes and nearly half would like to see greater flexibility in the way they can spend it and they need more information on how it works and you know how it can be effective for them so i think that's a big area of support that you know that can be addressed um quite quickly
0: and just help me out here What does greater flexibility actually mean? What would they like to spend it on that they can't spend it on
1: I I think every, every company has different training requirements. It's not necessarily one size fits all, especially when you're looking at big companies compared to small companies. So, for example, I think that ability to use the levy in different ways for rather than just friendship places, maybe it can be used for specific training in specific technologies, for example. Like we spoke about digital twins before. So wouldn't it be great if some of that that money could be um, earmarked for specific technologies that are going to be really important? Okay, So
0: there's quite a lot. In this survey, and I certainly do encourage people listening to, to get a hold of a copy. But I know that the IET have been serving engineering employers in this way for quite a few years. And I'm interested in some of the trends over time. How do the 2023 results compare with earlier years? Are are certain things getting better? Are certain things getting worse? Uh, is the UK changing its position on certain things compared with other countries? What What can you tell me?
1: Yeah, definitely. So, um, yeah, the skill survey has been around a number of years now. And I think from my own observations, the skill gaps are remaining quite constant. But where there's always been a gap is in that technician level. And that that gap doesn't seem to be getting any better. Um, And technicians are really important. But again, I think they often lack recognition and support and again it's it's something it is to do with um, careers and advice coming out of schools it's about employers supporting their workforce and, you know, at particular levels also one thing that has got better i think is the diversity of people in engineering professions there's still a long way to go um so i, I know when we first started doing the survey only around six percent of um, the engineering workforce was female and that has crept up now to, to around about 16.5%, but you know, there's still a lot of improvement to make. And it's not just gender diversity, but all, all kinds of diversity as well. So there's more work to do in, I guess, um, kind of you know, supporting the engineering community, as it were. In recent years, we've we've tended, we've now sort of focused on different areas such as sustainability and digital skills. Um, and they're all on our website but I think what underpins it all is um, the outcome that employers want to see so ultimately whether it's sustainability or skills for digital employers want to drive innovation productivity and growth and they can only do it with a workforce that is responsive to the current needs of the day and so as well as technical skills we also need to be growing um, sort of being able to foster a workforce that is able to react quickly to different technologies and new challenges and think on their feet. And again, I think that's really important.
0: So one of the things you mentioned there was technicians. And uh, just to follow up a little bit on what you were just saying, this issue of of a lack of technicians and people in that kind of, has been around for a very long time. Why is it so hard? To fix and and who needs to do what in order to really make a step change in this?
1: Such a good question I think we, you know I think the whole of the profession would like to to sort of crack that nut but um I guess um technicians sort of falls in the auspices of vocational education which does you know let's be honest it, it suffers a perception issue further education is often considered as a sort of second cousin to going to university and unless we kind of sort of boost the perception of further education and vocational training and, and they, they, that level of jobs, I don't think we're going to get the, the numbers of people coming through to be technicians that we need. And they are so important because, you know, in this country, we're so rich in innovation and research and thought leadership. We also need the people to be able to sort of work on new technologies and keep them going and maintaining them so you know it's such an important role well let me
0: ask you one final question as we come to the end of our time here let's imagine by some very strange quirk of fate that you suddenly found yourself as a UK government minister looking at this survey and pondering what to do what actions what policies would you be considering as a result of some of the findings here
1: sure well um I guess if i were in that lucky position (laughs) i'd be looking at all the facets that that can make a difference so like i said before i just don't think one 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 thing alone is going to make a difference to achieving net zero we can't just put all the onus on industry but um as government what you couldn't put in place is a really robust industrial strategy making sure there's long-term and consistent funding for innovation and making sure that we've got real support for upskilling the UK workforce so we can be more internationally competitive. I think like government and why do we need to think about um, net zero as a system and um, how all the different components fit together. So it's the skills, it's the infrastructure, it's the capability. So we're thinking as a system and not, not just um, certain pinch points of it. Um, we clearly have to do more to improve industry confidence in the UK's education pipeline. And to do that, we need to facilitate greater collaboration between industry and universities, as well as further um, education and colleges too. And we talked about targeting placement in areas of skills deficits, um, such as digital twins, and also things like nuclear technologies, which are going to come ever more important going forwards. I guess as a government minister, I want to make I want to make sure that we don't miss opportunities for digitalisation, especially in the quest to reach net zero. And 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 you know, had I have a magic pot of money, um, I think we should be um, really sort of investing quite heavily into the sustainable use of technologies such as AI and digital twins to make sure that you know we are at the forefront of
0: being sustainable. Fantastic. Well, of course, it's quite unlikely that you'll become a government minister. So what we'll need to do is to see how the current ministers and any future ones take up some of those ideas. That's all we've got time for today. Uh, So, Stephanie Baxter, thank you very much.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: You've been listening to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. My guest this week was Stephanie Baxter, Head of Policy at the IET. We've been discussing some of the results from the 2023 IET Skills Survey, which is available on the IET's website. This podcast is one of a range of podcasts we're recording in November to coincide with National Engineering Day on the 1st of November. More details about National Engineering Day can be found on the website of the Royal Academy of Engineering. Meanwhile, on the website of the Foundation for Science and Technology, which is www.foundation.org.uk, you can find information about all the Foundation's events, our journal, and all previous editions of this podcast. Until the next time, goodbye.